0: When I read today's scripture, 1 Samuel 22-24, I felt like watching a cartoon, Tom and Jerry. Remember that? The cat chasing mouse, mouse escaping, cat around and around, and Tom tried to torment Jerry, but his plan is always no match for Jerry's cleverness. So Jerry usually emerges triumphant, while Tom is shown as a loser. Like Tom, Saul goes around and around to kill David, but his plan is no match for David's cleverness, which comes from God. So let's review David's fugitive journey so far. (laughs) David uh, fled from Gilead of Saul to Ramah, and then fled to Nath, and then to Gath. And now, he ended up at Adullam. So let's look at uh, chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and become their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab, and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Oreb. So interestingly, the word Adullam means refuge. So now David is forced to flee to the cave of Adullam and find refuge. So David had been through a lot. He had uh, the high of immediate fame, and a recent marriage, and danger from the Philistines, and a heartbreaking farewell from everyday life to be lived as a fugitive. But here we can see a principle of life. So, namely, when something is taken away, God gives you back something back. At the cave of Adullam, God gave him back his family who used to doubt David. In chapter 16, his own father kind of uh, ignored him when Samuel was looking for a king, and also his oldest brother, Iliad publicly rebuked David and criticized him before he faced Goliath. Eliab and his two other brothers at this point are still soldiers of Saul. Remember that? So they have committed treason by leaving their positions to be with David. So his father and mother also went to the cave to be with David. Probably they escaped retaliation from Saul, but God deliberately bring the whole family together. So family reunion at the adult cave. However, David didn't know what God's plan was for him. So he find protection for his elderly parents at Moab. All the way down here. Here, all the way down. um, But why in the world David bring his parents to Moab for safety? He knows that Moab considered Israel as its enemy. Well, David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabite. So David has a Moabite blood in his brain, in his vein. Saul in brain, too. Saul completely defeated Moab before David became a great warrior for Saul. So the Moabites' hatred is focused on Saul rather than on David. In addition to that, uh, all of David's great victories up to this time were apparently against the Philistines. Therefore, the Moabites has no compelling reason to hate David. So David knew that God anointed him to be a king but he didn't know when and how. So for now, he just wants his parents to be safe. So he brought them to Moab to live. So it reminds us of Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he made a provision for his mother, Mary, to be with John. So God also called a unique group of people to David in the Adonam cave. Some men were in distress, which means their lives were were difficult or unstable. And some were in debt. This is what happens when you give guys too many credit cards. (laughs) And some were discontent. So Hebrew word for discontent means bitter of soul. So they were pretty much resentful and bitter and hostile people. They are nothing more than outcasts of society. And now David becomes their leader. So this has and always be the case for the people's king. Just like Jesus, who spent his time with tax collectors and sinners, this outcast. God always worked through a cold and anointed man, but at the same time, God rarely called a man to work alone. I think that these are not the men David would choose for himself, but they were the ones God called to him. So David is going to have to learn how to bring them together and be the king of these people to make a united nation. So when these guys Spend time with David, they became more like David. As David changes, they changed. Soon these same people will become known as David's mighty men. <coughs> they will be the greatest force of fighting men in entire Israel's history, a top-notch military unit. Imagine that. This will happen to us if we spend more stick with Jesus and spend more time with Jesus. So when his family and this man showed up, I think David probably felt burdensome at first. But instead of breaking under the pressure of the moment, David wrote the challenge to the truth of his character was revealed. We can see it from the psalm he wrote. So David uh, wrote several cave songs at time when he was in a cave. So I hope you did your homework and already read Psalm 142 and 57. But just in case you didn't, let's read it together, Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, my God. God. Have mercy (laughs) on me. Read together. For you, I take refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends (laughs) forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet, I was bowed down in distress, they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it. seven shows. Dave is humble and a prayerful. End up here, over here, the forest of Orest. So why would God tell him to go back to the land of Judah, where Saul is waiting? The answer is chapter 23, but he didn't know yet. He just left without asking a question. He didn't ask why. When and where to in Judah. He acted like a good soldier accepting a command. And because he learned that all the known and unknown of our lives are regulated by God. He left without hesitation or delay. When God's time comes, we must sleep. And he left also without fear. It is interesting that we see in his psalm he cry out to God in many you know, occasions. But when God said, go, and he just goes without fear. At this point, Saul is kind of paranoid. And he thinks everyone is against him. So when Saul got the word, about, word of the whereabout of David and his man, He suspected his servants' disloyalty and rebuked them. (coughs) Doherah, not a Jew, but Edomite, tells Saul of what Ahemelah did for David and Nah. Last week we saw David lied to the priest Ahemelah that he was on a secret mission for Saul and demanded bread. So priest Ahemelah gave him new holy bread, and also gave him the sword of Goliath. But when Doak tells Saul this, Saul this story, he made his priest look like he was conspiring against Saul, and he wasn't. So Saul ordered the slaughter of the priests. So 85 priests, their families, and their animals all wiped out by the command of Saul and the hands of Doe. So killing priests is an unthinkable thing to do. So this is the evidence of Saul's mental instability. David wrote this experience in Psalm 52. The introduction to this psalm said, a contemplation of David when doeth the Edomite, went and told Saul, and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Let's read together, Psalm 52.
1: Why do you boast of so
0: evil you my, my hero? <laughs> Why do you boast all day long? You who <laughs> practice grace in the eyes of God. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good also rather than speaking the truth. You will love every harmful word. You deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see you in the fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man. trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. David's mind while all of this was happening. So its title implies Doeg's treachery, but it also refers to the hate and persecution of Saul. Doeg was just Saul's tool. (coughs) The son of Ahemelah, Abiathar, is the only one who escaped and made a report to David. Even though David recognized that it is his fall that this has happened. But back in chapter 2, Eli was told that he would ultimately lose his children. So this is a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. So when David became a king, he installed Abiathar as a new high priest. So Abiathar remained in that position during David's entire reign. But in 1 Kings 2.26-27, David's son Solomon removed Abiathar from his position, which means a complete ending of Eli's line. So let's look at 1 Kings 2.27, said, So Solomon removed Abiathar from the priesthood of the Lord. Fulfilling the word of the Lord has spoken and shadow about the house of Eli. So David acknowledges. His responsibility within, but it is also the fulfillment of the prophecy by the determination of God. So last week in chapter 21, we saw that David's faith has given way to fear, that he acts kind of irrational way, as he was fleeing and seeking refuge in man, rather than God. David lied to the priest and now, And at Gath, David pretend to be insane in order to save his life. And now we just saw the consequences of his lie and But in chapter 23 and 24, there's a turning point for David. Here, he begins to ask God first before acting. In chapter 23, David heard that the Philistines were plundering the threshing floor at Cairo. Kaila was about three miles south of Adama. Here. So actually, it is so job to protect Kaila. And it is so job to fight, fight the Philistines. But he is more interested in killing David than dealing with the Philistines. As David heard of what's going on in Kaila, he brings this matter before God. For him, fighting against the Philistine is kind of a crazy thing to do. Because first David has 400 men who are not exactly a regular army. And second, David has gotten enough trouble with Saul and he didn't need to add more trouble from the Philistines. And third, this would expose David open to Saul. But God told him to go and attack the Philistines. Do you remember God told him to go from Moab to the land of Judah? So he left without question? This is the reason. So to assure his 400 men, David makes further inquiry of God. And again, he is directed to go with promise of victory. Acting on this instruction, he saved Kyla. There are two key points here. First, David is seeking God's will. His only question is, what does God want me to do? And second, David immediately obeyed as soon as he knew God's will. It shows his obedience and faith. When uh, David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he asked God again. In this chapter, David inquired God four times. Verse 2, 4, 10-11, and 12. So he placed himself under God's authority. While Saul didn't even seek to know God's will, he only counted on human instincts. So what method did David use to ask God and get answers? And verse 9 said, When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod. What is ephod? An ephod is an apron like linen garment that high priest wore in the tabernacle. It was like the priest's uniform. Uh, this is called breastplate of judgment. This is a uh, this is a bigger picture here. There are twelve stones on the on front in front. So Exodus 15, 28, 37. Fashion of breast for making decisions. There are to be twelve stones one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal, with the name of one of the twelve tribes. Also put the Urim and Thummim in the breast piece. This is what they look like. So, that, so they may be over Aaron's heart, whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions, for the israelite over his heart before the lord the word urine and thumbing means light and perfections so it is not clear how to get god's answer through this but some said the one stone was white the other black and the yes answer from god was the white stone and no one black stone that priest uh, pulled out of his pouch. His pouch is behind this, you know, breastplate. And others said that it would light up and give you the answer. So we don't know how David and Abigail use them, but one thing we know for sure is that this ephah with the urine and thumbing were more valuable and more helpful to David than a thousand soldiers, because it helped him to discern the will of God. Don't you think it's nice to have your mental this you day? <laughs> <laughs> we can help, that they, they can help us in you know, a better decisions." But someone say, hey, we have them today too. It is called iPad, iPad. <laughs> e iPad, sound similar, <laughs> look similar. But really, we have you remember? I mean, today it is called the Word of God. It tells us what is right, what is wrong, and how to get right when you have gone wrong, and how to stay right. Second Timothy three sixteen seventy said, "Every part of Scripture is God breathed and useful, one way or another, showing us truth." exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the test God has for us. So there's a story about a man who has owned a business for a while, but re- lately his business is not doing well and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes to his rabbi and seek advice The rabbi said, hmm, I'm not a businessman, so I cannot give you any business advice. But only advice I give you is to go home and pray about it for a while, for a month, and then open the Bible and read the first words you see, and they will tell you what to do. So several months later, the man comes back to see rabbi. He has a smile on his face he was much better than before. So Rabbi thought, hmm, maybe his business got better. The man thanks the Rabbi for his wonderful advice. So the Rabbi asked, is everything going well? So he said, yes, I did exactly what you said. I prayed for a month and opened the Bible and I saw the first word and did exactly what they said. So the Rabbi said, what were those wonderful words? The man said, chapter (laughs) 11. Get that? So there's the answer for everything in the Bible. Okay. Now God told David that Saul would come to Kyla and the man of Kyla would betray him. So David took his man and hit the road again and ended up at the wilderness near Here, Interestingly, the name Jif means refining place. This was the place where David's face is further refined. So can you imagine how David felt at this point? God told him to rescue the people of Pilate, so he did. But they betrayed him, so he ended up running from Saul all over again. You know, you serve God and do the best you can, and you risk your life to help others, but all you got is another trouble. I think he must have been physically, emotionally, and spiritually worn down and discouraged and felt lonely. Just at this moment, God sent the friends to encourage David. Jonathan took a risk to come to David to strengthen his hand in God. Isn't it great to be around those who build you up and encourage you? Life is too short to hang out with a writing crew. But sadly, this is the last time David and Jonathan see each other alive. Soon after, Jonathan is killed in the battle against the Philistines. After Johnson left, again, the G5 betrayed David and informed Saul about David's hiding place. Looks like Saul has CIA agents all over the place (laughs) on an espionage mission. So it is during this time that David wrote Psalm 54. Its introduction said, a contemplation of David when the deep 5 went and set to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Let's read together how David felt about this. Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by your name, and your might. Hear my prayer, O God, listen to the words of my mouth. Every foes are attacking me. in this situation. First, he called out to God for help, and he also understands his enemy, but he has confidence in God. Therefore, he prays God with gratitude instead of bitterness and fear. And lastly, he is looking to God in anticipation of deliverance. Ralph Waldo Emerson, Said once, um, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. Everything that David went through has taught him that he can trust God for all that lies ahead. That's faith. So again, pursued David to the wilderness of Meah. He was on one side of the mountain, and David and his man on the other. Here. Um, so when Saul was about to get David, he got a message about the attack. So Saul called the pursuit. So as David anticipated, God delivered David and his men again, And they went and hit out the the stronghold of Engad. Right here. Looking at how persistently Saul pursued David, and it is clear that Saul hates David. David has never wronged Saul, but he still hates David because David is everything that Saul himself is not. Have you ever done that? You hate someone because she has everything you don't? Or being hated because you are blessed? Now we see how David handles that situation with Saul face to face. After dealing with listening, Saul returned to pursue David again in the desert of Gedi. As Saul is searching for David and his man, he has to cook. This is the proof. The Bible is real. He has to cook. <laughs> there is no honey bucket in the area. So Saul so unknowingly comes to a cave where David and his men are hiding. So Saul has been pursuing David and his men, making their life a living hell. So David's men think, this is a God-given opportunity. So David, uh, the man, uh, the quadrant man, they urge David to kill him. David knows he shouldn't, but he cannot resist. So he just cut off the edge of Saul's robe, like this. <laughs> <laughs> I love this picture because Saul is reading a newspaper. And insignificant action. The hem or edge of a person's garment in the ancient Near East made a statement about his or her social standing. A king's hem was specially ornate and identified him as the king. The so cutting of this piece of sword's robe means lack of respect and slight rebellion against king who was anointed by God. David has raised his hand against his king, and in so doing, he, has against, he raised his hand against God. It is God who has made Saul so, a king. Therefore, it is God who will remove him. It is not David's place to get even. God's will must be done in God's way, in God's time. But for a moment, David's thinking was not in line with God. So what do you do if you are in David's shoes? My brain may say, get him, he deserved it. Not just getting even, but hurting more than he has hurt you, right? Am I the only one who thinks this way? (laughs) When that moment comes, we have to decide who we have to listen to. My brain, or what other people said, or what God said. Romans 12, 19, 21 said, Don't hit back, discover beauty in everyone. I love this word. Discover beauty in everyone. If you have got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not not for you to do. I will do the judging, says God. I will take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. This is what we should listen to. Okay, the rest of the chapter is David and Saul's face-to-face confrontation, finally. Here, we can see how David defends himself and deals with Saul's offense. The integrity of David's confrontation can teach us how we should react when we are wronged by others. Verse A. Then David went out to the cave and call out to Saul, My Lord the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. First, when Saul left the cave, David follows him and set the record straight. He took the first step. So we should not wait for other person to make the first step. Second, David humbled himself before Saul and honored Saul. Verse 11, David also called Saul, my father. So it shows his feeling of love for Saul, even though Saul still wants to kill him. So we remain humble and respect the offending party. Verse 911. 11. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to when man said David is bending on harm you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointing. See, my father, look at this piece in, of your hand, your rope in my hand. I cut up the corner of your rope but did not kill you. See, that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or galling. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. Third, David was not shy about pointing out the truth. He wisely explained the fall from Saul to his followers and his counselors. Fourth, David declared his own guilt but committed himself to doing the right thing. He told Saul so to take into account that he has not done transgression. So we should confess our own guilt in the situation and extend forgiveness to the offending party. We must commit ourselves to doing the right thing regardless of what anyone else does because we are the children of God who are also anointed by God. Verse 12 to 15 May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes from evil words come evil day, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom Has the king of Israel come out? (coughs) Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Fifth, David is trying to get Saul to focus on God. Because Saul is not fighting David, he is fighting God. Six. David did not seek revenge because he did not want to descend to Saul's level. You know, when you go low, I go high. So David placed his case in the hand of God. So we need to tell the truth without bias, and ultimately, we need to place our case in the hands of God and leave it with Him. When we take things in our own hands, we are no longer walking by faith. We are not trusting God. So what we are really saying is, God, I cannot trust you to handle this the way I want it to be handled. So I'm going to do it myself. Every story has three sides. What he said, what she said, and the truth. I think this is the reason why we have to live with God because God is the only one who knows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So it is new year, and new you, so it is time to lay the burden down, whatever it may be, and let God do the work. So how did the soul respond to David's confrontation? He acknowledged that David was to succeed him and confess his sin in pursuing David, and asked David not to kill his offspring, and David agreed. So the remorse was clearly genuine, but temporal. He will pursue David again. So in these three chapters, David fled all over the place as a fugitive, to be trained by God to be a better king. Pastor Stephen Cole summarized four lessons they will learned here, and also we also learned. First, David learned to take refuge in God and see God's love, even in hardship, even when he seems like God doesn't care. C.K. McIntosh wrote, Never interpret God's love by your circumstances, but always interpret your circumstances by His love. Second, David learned to see God's will rather than to act impossibly on His own, which means he learned submission. Third, David learned to wait upon God for His timing. In Psalm 62, he said, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. Fourth, David learned to acknowledge his sin quickly to God and to those he has wronged. He, he developed a gentle conscience before God and kept a clear conscience. Okay, I will finish with a quote. When God obeys you, think ye hew a rugged stone which must be shaped, or else aside as useless drone.